You can be seated. Well, today I'd like to turn your attention to our, our passage from the Old Testament, our Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 51, uh, found on pages 7 and 8 in your bulletin. This was written for a people in exile, people who had suffered a great deal, and God is giving them some wonderful promises. You know, when you are on a, on a journey, on a trip, if you've set out to go somewhere you've never gone before, you're going to need to trust something outside of yourself to get you to that destination. Uh, so you're in the car and you're traveling to a place you've never been before. You're going to be listening, I guess, to your GPS and hoping that it gives accurate uh, directions. Uh, maybe some of you remember the days when GPS was just, uh, we were just beginning to use it and it wasn't always accurate. And you turn, it tell you to turn into a field or something like that. But now it's gotten better and so we trust uh, the GPS to get us where we need to be. When you're in an airport and you're getting ready to take a trip, well, you, you look at the board there at the airport and check the flight information, then you go to your gate and you are listening for that uh, attendant at the gate to announce, now is the time to board your plane. We'll begin boarding now. You need to hear and trust something outside of yourself to get you to the destination. Well, God's people are on a journey. We are on a pilgrimage, and our final destination is is uh, pictured beautifully in Isaiah 51 at verse um, uh, verse 11. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Zion. Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of God's presence and God's people. That is the ultimate destination of the people of God. And then in Revelation chapter 22, it says that God is preparing a place for his people, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And this will be part of the new heavens and the new earth. So, our ultimate destination is the city of God. Zion, the new Jerusalem, the place where God dwells and his people with him. But what do we need to trust? Who do we need to trust in order to get to that destination? Well, God says in Isaiah 51 to these weary Pilgrims, listen to me. It, it, it comes up again and again, doesn't it, in our reading. Verse 1, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Verse 4, give attention to me, my people, and open your ears, give ears to me. Verse 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness. 
You see, the problem with the people of Israel is often our problem. They were tempted to stop listening to God or at least to not trust what God was saying because they had suffered so much. Again, they had suffered exile. In the 6th century B.C., the Babylonian Empire came into Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, and destroyed Zion. Destroyed the capital city plundered the temple, took out the silver and gold, burned it down, drugged the king off in chains, and the rest of the people were sent into exile, taken out of their homes. And so they were weary, they were discouraged. This had happened to them, and they were tempted to not trust God's word in their sorrow and suffering. But then God's word came to them through Isaiah the prophet, so that they might believe his promises and, and, and this, this great promise that one day they will return. They will come back to Zion and experience this everlasting joy that he promises. And so what God is doing here in Isaiah 51 is he's giving them reasons to believe that that is where he's going to bring them. That is their ultimate destination. He talks about his power. He reminds them of his power. Listen to me, he says, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Well, God was their rock and God is their rock and and God is our rock. And it is by the power of God that the people of God exist. And he's going to remind them of that. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless and multiply him. In other words, remember God's power. That's why you exist as a nation. Remember God's power to create, God's power to give life, God's power to bless. Look to your father and your mother, Abraham and Sarah. This is where you came from, the power of God to do this great thing. He was one, but now there's this nation, a people for God. Hebrews 11:12 says, uh, Therefore, from one man, referring to Abraham, and him as good as dead, he was old, she was barren, This could only happen by the power of God. From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Remember the power of God. And Isaiah's point here is that if God has the power to do something like that, to create a nation, something seemingly impossible, Certainly, it is impossible from a human point of view to create a nation, a people for himself from this old, barren couple. Then he has the power to fulfill this promise, to bring you to Zion, a city that now is lying in the dust, but he promises that by his power, it's going to become a garden, a place of joy, a place of singing a place of everlasting joy. Let's remember, friends, that God specializes in using His power 
to bring dead things to life. And we know this more certainly than even Isaiah, this great prophet of God, knew because we live in light of the resurrection of Christ. God raised His Son, Jesus, from the dead. And we have experienced, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, we've experienced the life of God in our life. We were once dead in our sins and trespasses. We were once those who were not interested in the things of God. Did not have a desire to please God. Paul even says, hostile to God. We were enemies of God in our mind. But then, through the grace of God, through hearing the message of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins and believing in Him, the Spirit of God comes into our life and gives us new life so that we want to know God and we want to fellowship with Him. He's made us alive through Christ. And so, if you're a weary pilgrim today, if you're a disappointed pilgrim today, if there are things going on in your life and in your circumstances that cause you to sigh, uh, and sorrow, remember your God. Your God who has this power to give life, to bring blessing. So, Isaiah speaks of, by the Spirit of God, the power of God. And then he reminds them of God's salvation. Hear this word also about the salvation of God. Verse 6, my salvation will be forever. God's salvation is eternal. And he compares this and contrasts it to creation. At verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath where the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Creation as it exists right now is temporary. But God, the Creator, is eternal. And His salvation is eternal. And this is a truth found throughout Scripture, that creation as it exists now is not going to last forever. Second Peter chapter 3. The Apostle Peter says that we're waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So the creation as we know it now is not going to last forever. But God is going to recreate and give a new heavens and a new earth. He's not going to abandon His creation He's going to redeem it. This, by the way, gives us great hope, doesn't it? For the future of the world. There are many people today, and I think it especially affects a younger generation, who are living with a sense of hopelessness and despair about the future of the world. 
and especially as they see uh, things happening in the environment. They, 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 they are living with the sense that it all depends upon them. The future hinges on them to get this right, or there will be no future. I read this the other day in a, in a major newspaper. They were interviewing young people, talking about the climate crisis, as they called it. And these young people were saying, one of them said, we are the last resort on earth. Speaking of his generation, he was 16. He felt as if it all depended on him. And there was another young person in their 20s saying, if we don't fix this, if we don't fix this, there will be no future. That's how many people are living today, without a sense of hope that it all depends upon And by the way, of course, we're to care for creation. We're to be good stewards of what God has given us. But the future doesn't all depend upon us. It depends on God, the creator of it. And so we can live, yes, responsibly, but with hope. That is the Christian perspective on the created world. It's a gift of God. We're to live responsibly as good stewards of his creation, but we know that he's the one who is ultimately in control. But Isaiah is is reminding the people of God that that this world as as it exists is not forever, but God's salvation is. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Such a blow, isn't it, psychologically, when the things that we're attached to, the the created things that we are attached to in this world, uh, begin to break down and, and die and vanish. Such a blow. It's so difficult to process because we are so wedded to visible reality. I, I can't help but think what happened in, in Hawaii, those terrible wildfires that happened on the island of Maui. And that one region where it was a paradise, that town was a paradise. Lahana, is that the right name? And do you see the before and after pictures? It seemed like a permanent paradise. And now it's in ashes. It's so tragic to see that. It's such a blow. And worse, of course, is the loss of life and the terrible stories about that that happened there. And those things are a painful reminder that nothing created is going to last forever. So instead of putting our ultimate hope in created things, we're to hope in the Creator. Instead of putting our hope in things like many people are today, maybe technology will save us. Maybe if we get the right person in office, he will save us. Maybe if we can come up with the right policies. No, the people of God are called to put their ultimate trust and the Creator, and the salvation that He promises to anyone who will receive His Son. And, and what we see here is a God of expansive salvation, a God who offers this salvation to the whole world. To the whole world. It includes not just the nation of Israel, but all nations. He writes in verse 5, My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands wait for me. For my arm they wait. The coastlands here represent 
foreign lands. It represents, in Isaiah's context, people on the other side of the Mediterranean. People, for example, in Greece, the coastlands. Those people who live far away from us are going to receive. They're, they're looking for, they're longing for uh, God's salvation and they will receive it. And this is a prophecy, friends, 700 years before Christ of the salvation that God offers to the whole world through Christ. That he is, as Peter said, the Messiah for all. So that anyone who confesses, as Peter does in our gospel reading, anyone who believes this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, enters into this salvation, this everlasting fellowship with God and the promise of everlasting joy with him. And so we, we thank God for this salvation that's eternal and expansive and includes anyone who will turn to him in faith and repentance. And then finally, Isaiah reminds the people of God of God's justice. He reminds them of God's power. He reminds them of God's salvation. He reminds them of God's justice. One thing that can cause us to grow weary and discouraged is that we look at the injustice of this world, the injustice that God's people suffer, the injustice that we suffer. God promises to make it right. Verse 4, I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My arms will judge the peoples. He says, listen to me. Here we go again. Verse 7, listen to me. You who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. Again, this is a people who've experienced reproach and revilings. Their nation has been destroyed by pagans. Their temple desecrated. Their king, Zedekiah, uh, before he was drug off in chains, The Babylonians murdered his sons in front of his eyes and then they put out his eyes and then they drug him away in chains. That's how much these people have been reviled and reproached and how much they have suffered as a nation. And so they know what it means to be reviled and reproached. But God says, There's coming a day where those who have caused you such suffering will be judged. God, in fact, was using the Babylonians to judge the people of Israel for their own sin and their own injustice. But now God says, and as this chapter unfolds, it becomes clear. He's saying that is coming to an end. That day is coming to a conclusion, this day of judgment. And now what's in store for you is salvation. That those who devoured you will be devoured He says, the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm like wool. And this is what happened to the Babylonians. They were defeated by the Persians. God used Cyrus the Great as an instrument of justice against the Babylonians. And then under Cyrus the Great, he did bring the people back into Zion, which was a foreshadowing of the ultimate uh, return of the people of God to himself. In heaven. But God demonstrates his righteousness. He demonstrates that he's just. He demonstrated his righteousness in having the people of Israel be conquered, 
And then he demonstrated his righteousness in having those who had conquered them be conquered by the Persians. Because God is just. God is righteous. And by the way, that word, righteousness and justice, is the same word in the original language here. God's righteousness is who he is in himself. His character is righteous. God's justice is an expression of that in the world. And so because God is righteous in himself, God will mete out justice in the world. But like, uh, like the people of Israel here, we often grow impatient, don't we? We want this to happen on our timetable. And they're crying out to God, God, why don't you do that thing that you did long ago? Awake! As in the days of old, the generations of long ago, was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces? That's a, uh, that, that's a metaphor for Egypt. Didn't you do that to Egypt and you led us across? Why don't you do something like that, God, again, right now? We would love to see you intervene in the world. And we can appreciate that. And that's an appropriate prayer to ask God to come and to fulfill his justice. But we are to operate on God's timetable and be patient and endure. We have to trust that God is righteous. There's coming a day of final justice for the world where Christ will return as the judge, as we say, of the living and the dead. We need to be reminded of this, pilgrims. We need to be reminded of this. We might be wearied by injustice, by reviling. We might be wearied by the way that our faith is often reproached and reviled in our culture today. Certainly Christians in places where there is physical persecution, understand this. They know what it is to hang on to this hope. Christians like in Pakistan, just recently, there were uh, 30 churches destroyed in Pakistan and 800 homes of Christians destroyed by an angry, anti-Christian Islamic mob. These are people who need to hang on to this truth about their God. God says, listen to me. Listen to me. My arms will judge the peoples. The same God who has called us to faith in Him and His Word, faith in His power, faith in His salvation, faith in His justice, the same God who calls you and me to have faith in Him is the same God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world who was reviled and reproached for our sin and has given us new life, who on the cross took our sins so that we are the ransomed of the Lord. A payment has been paid for us, except the ransom payment for us, brothers and sisters, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8, is the precious blood of Christ. We've been ransomed, we've been bought for God by the precious blood of Christ. And so this is another incentive, a great incentive, perhaps the greatest incentive of all for us as Christians to hang on, to soldier on with patience and hope. We are a purchased people by the precious blood of Christ. As we walk this pilgrim path, Let's not forget that.
I'm reminded of a time that when we were in Montana, and there's a trail in Glacier National Park. It's a trail high up in the mountains, and I'm somebody who does not like heights. I don't even like to get on a ladder. My knees start to shake, and I get a little queasy. But the family said, let's go up on this trail. And it's called the High Line Trail in Glacier National Park. Maybe you, I know you've been there. He tore his knee there on that trail. <laughs> it is beautiful. But do you remember that it's cut into the, the face of the mountain, this little trail. I'm not going to exaggerate here. It's not like I was mountain climbing, but you're on this kind of narrow path. And uh, on one side is a sheer rock, and on the other side is a drop-off, thousands of feet below. And so, I did not want to go on that trail. But the only reason I went is that they had this chain that you could hang on to as you walked on the trail. And again, I, I, don't, I wasn't in any real danger of falling off. But hanging on to that gave me security, gave me a sense of stability. And so I could walk it. And then I swore I would never do it again. <laughs> but that's how it is with the people of God. We're on this trail. We can get distracted, and, and we ought not to get distracted because there's dangers on every side if we get distracted. But God has given us his word to hang on to, to the very, very end. And our trust is based on his character. The object of our faith is this God. Our trust is not in our faith, but in the object of our faith. And he's revealed who he is in his word. His power, his salvation, his justice will take us to the very end. Let's pray. Help us, God, to hang on to the truth of who you are. I pray for those of us who are, like the people of Israel, weary and disappointed, maybe bewildered and confused about what you are doing, and yet you come to your people time and time again, addressing us with your word. By your Holy Spirit, give us faith to hang on to these precious promises and patience to persevere. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.